R.C. Sproul said, prayer is to the Christian what breath is to life, yet no duty of the Christian is so neglected. Why is this the case, do you think? Why is prayer such a neglected part of the Christian life? Uh, as followers of Jesus Christ, we know, uh, especially as those of us who are Reformed, we know that God knows what we need before we ask him. We know that he's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows exactly what we need and what we want and everything that we're going to go to him in prayer. He knows. So what's the point of prayer? I've heard a lot of Christians ask this. Why should we pray if God already knows everything? Uh, it, it's a subject that we have many different views on. And again, among different communities of Christians, you'll get different answers there. But the point is to understand the relationship between God and his providence and his sovereignty and prayer uh, and our responsibility to pray, we've got to have the right understanding of prayer. So while God certainly knows what we need and he knows everything, he's omniscient, um, we still, he call, tells us to call out to him and verbalize these things in prayer verbalize our needs in prayer. The reason he does this is not because he needs to be nudged out of some sleep or slumber, but uh, to act on our behalf, but because prayer benefits and deepens our dependence on him. It shows us that we're totally dependent on him and that we need him. Uh, fervent prayer gets our mind off of ourselves and gets it onto God. A.W. Pink said, prayer is not designed for the furnishing of God with the knowledge of what we need, but it is designed as a confession to him of our sense of need. So when we pray, we're certainly not telling God anything that he doesn't already know. But in prayer, we acknowledge our dependence on him, our complete and total reliance on him. Uh, often in the Psalms, just as the Psalm that we, that, uh, we was just read, uh, David uh, in his prayers, he recounts God's great works to him. Again, he wasn't telling God something he didn't know, but he was praising God. These prayers of David's were all prayers of praise and worship to God. Um, just examine the many psalms that he wrote. In Psalm 18, he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And then he says, I called out to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. Psalm 8 says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? that you are mindful of him, the son of man, that you care for him. And one more, Psalm 145, he says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. So we see here David is not just praying to God in a routine manner. He's, he's praising God. Uh, he's worshiping God with his words. Uh, so this should be our primary objective as well when we pray to God. Uh, 
again, it's not showing something God already knows or doesn't know, but it's showing him how much we love him, how much we appreciate his, his almighty majesty, uh, his sovereignty. Uh, too many times we make prayer uh, a laundry list of our needs and our wants. We, we're all guilty of this. Every Christian is guilty of this. Even when we take prayer requests, it's all usually something we need or, or praying for somebody in our family, something like this. Not Again, nothing's wrong with these things. They should be prayed about. All of, our, all of these needs and wants that we have should be prayed about. Uh, but when we look at our prayers and we focus and we realize that it's just a list of uh, healing of ourselves, our family, our money, our jobs, a promotion, or a, a wife or a husband or whatever the case may be. Uh, it, we look at it sometimes and we, we, we realize it's all about us. Our prayers sometimes can tend to be all about our own needs and what we want. Um, but again, there's nothing wrong with that. But is that the focus of our prayer life? Have we resorted to just asking God for what we need? Um, or is it for his glory? Is it for his worship and praise? Uh, some of you here has probably heard the acronym before that is used uh, for the purpose and type of prayer. ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. I personally love acronyms and mnemonics and anything that can help my old brain remember anything because those of you over 40 know once you hit that age for some reason brain cells start going a lot more quickly and anything that can help me remember something I love and so that's a that's always been a good one for me because it helps you realize what the point of prayer is number one it's adoration it's worship to God uh, it's adoring him showing that we love him uh, we've already discussed the topic of adoration a little bit in worship uh, with the Psalms. Uh, but since this is the most important aspect of prayer by far, the adoration and worship of God, we'll spend a little more time on it. And we're going to read, if you noticed in your, uh, on your papers there, that our scripture for today is Matthew 6. Uh, we can probably, most of us here, quote the model prayer. Some people call it the Lord's Prayer. I don't like to call it that because I think the Lord's Prayer is John 17. Uh, this is the model prayer. This is what Jesus, his apostles, his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And isn't it interesting that the disciples never came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to preach or teach us how to do whatever, feed the sick, do all these things. No, he, he, they came to him specifically and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Even they realized the importance of prayer. Um, they realized that Jesus was the ultimate uh, go-to for how to pray. I mean, he was the son of God himself, God in the flesh. Uh, so let's look at Matthew 6, and we're going to read these verses, but I want you to read them as we're reading them. Look at it not so much as um, what to say, but why we say these things. What's the purpose of the different avenues of prayer that Jesus mentioned here in Matthew 6? We're going to start there in verse 5. And he says, and we're going to read part of this, then stop, and then read the rest. So keep your finger there in Matthew 6. 
says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, let's stop there for now. And so far, Jesus has kind of given us what not to do when it comes to prayer. This is the, this is the um, basically showing this is what we don't want to say, what we don't want to do. Uh, he's dealing here, if you notice, with the motivation behind prayer. Um, he's not saying that public prayer is wrong by any means. We should p- pray publicly. But he's asking, where is your heart condition? What's your heart condition before you say these public prayers? What's your motivation? Is it to be seen by others in hopes that they will think you're some spiritual giant, that uh, they hear your prayers and they say, wow, that guy must really have a good relationship with God? Uh, that's not the point of prayer at all. Jesus uses uh, the word here when he calls those who pray in this way hypocrites. And the original Greek word here uh, refers to an actor or a pretender, someone that's putting on a show, putting on a display for someone uh, just like an actor does. They're not, they're not real and uh, Uh, sincere in what they're doing they're actually playing a part and that's what these pharisees jesus was speaking of were doing they were playing a part they were praying out loud for everybody to see so that they can be seen as again spiritual giants Um, so christ is warning us about pretending to be someone that we're not other than who we are when we worship him Uh, Now, if our motivation is to glorify God, if our true heart condition is, God, I want to glorify and praise you, then that won't be a problem. uh, Because if our heart condition's right, our our prayer life will be right. Uh, However, if it is to impress others like like these Pharisees, it will become evident. And I think we've all heard prayers before. I know I have in my life going back to my Jehovah's Witness days and even part of the Southern Baptist days. You hear these people, these sometimes just good old country boys that are just as country as can be. Then they get up and say a prayer and it's like they've become fluent in 17th century old English all of a sudden. They change completely with their prayers. And that's not real. That's not... Uh, that's not um, sincerity. It, it shows a wrong heart condition. It's not what prayer is about. It's, it's about adoration. It's about worship of the Lord and praising him and giving him glory. Um, it's about our inability to do something and God's ability, God's sovereignty in doing anything. Remember the example that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 18 of the prayers of the Pharisee and the tax collector He compares the two, the Pharisee, the tax collector, and their prayers. Keep your finger there in in Matthew 6, because we're coming back to it. But let's look at that scripture in Luke 18, just to get a little reminder of this parable. Luke 18, and we're going to read verses 10 through 14. 
starting there in verse 10, he says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So what's the difference here in this, this Pharisee and this tax collector? What was the Pharisee's problem, if you notice there? He says, I'm not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I tithe. Ah, ah, ah. He just continues talking about himself. His prayer is not about God. It's about himself. It's about the things he does. Um, and he's praying this out loud for everybody to hear. It was all about him and not about, uh, not about God. But then you look in contrast to the tax collector. He was humble. He recognized his shortcomings, uh, his wretchedness, his depravity. Jesus said he went home justified. Now, was it the prayer that justified him? Was that the prayer what saved him? No. It was the fact that the Holy Spirit had transformed him, uh, his rock-hard heart at one time, into a heart of flesh, uh, leading him to be so traumatized by his own sin and so much that he hated his own self, his own sin so much that he couldn't even look up to heaven said he beat his breast and looked down as he was praying. That's true humility. Uh, that's what true heartfelt prayer looks like. It's not me, me, me. It's about God. It's about what God has done for us. Uh, it's, Lord, thank you for even considering taking a minute to listen to me, a sinner. That should be our view toward prayer. Uh, God, you are righteous, you are holy, you are perfect, and I am nothing. Uh, that was the prayer of this tax collector. So now go back to uh, Matthew 6. We'll conclude with the, uh, the, uh, the, the Lord's prayer, the, or the model prayer there, the last few verses. Again, these are the verses that most people can probably quote verbatim. But again, the point is, why are we praying these things? Starting there in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So what many people miss in this Lord's Prayer is that it's not merely something for us to say uh, aloud, but actually in, in verbatim, we're not, we're not uh, told to just repeat this prayer. He's saying that it's a model. It's a model structure for prayer. Uh, we know this from the verse we just read when he was introducing the Lord's Prayer. He said, pray then like this. He didn't say, say these words. He said, pray like this. First and foremost, the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is an example of the kind of prayer that honors God. And it's various elements there that, he, that we just read show us 
what we should include in our prayer. It goes back to that acronym of ACTS. Uh, it's adoration first, confession, uh, thanksgiving, and then supplication. It's, it's not about just a verbatim recitation. It's a model or an example for us. So first of all, from this, we see the privilege of prayer. That's the number one thing. Uh, do we consider prayer to be a privilege or do we consider it to be a duty or a, something that we have to do? Uh, we can call God our Father because of Jesus Christ. Uh, this promise of a familial, intimate relationship with God is no small matter. I mean, we should never take that for granted. The fact that we're able to call Almighty God of the universe, Father, or in another verse where it says we can call him Abba, and that's, that's a beautiful thing uh, for us. And this is, again, this is only for those who truly believe in Christ uh, alone, Christ alone for salvation. Uh, the world can't call him their father. Only us of us, those of us who have been chosen by God for salvation. We have God as our loving father only if we are in Christ, as Paul says, by faith. Uh, so never lose sight of that, the privilege of prayer, of being able to go to the, the creator of the universe and at any time. I mean, it's not like we ever get put on hold or we go to him at 3 o'clock in the morning and he's not there. No, he's always there. Uh, it's something not that we have to do, but something that we get to do. Uh, we don't deserve it. Just like our salvation, prayer is a gift from God we should never take for granted. And remember always that prayer is not just intercession, but it's also communion. It's, it's having uh, not only communication and it's having a, a relationship with God. It's basically when you have a relationship with anyone, how do you strengthen that relationship? You talk to them, right? Or you listen to them. Talking and listening, that's communication. And that's what we're able to do with God. Uh, we listen to him by reading his word. Uh, we talk to him through prayer. Um, so do we get what a privilege this is to do this? Now, second, the first petition of the prayer that, uh, that Jesus mentions here is for God's name to be hallowed. And what does that word hallowed mean? It's, it's several different words. Several translations use different words for it. Hallowed can be made holy, consecrated, um, can be greatly revered and honored. Do we greatly revere, do we honor God's name? Is it something that's set aside or consecrated for us? And this alerts us to the priorities we have in prayer. Above all else, Jesus asks that God's name is hallowed, uh, to be honored as holy. So we would want this above all else. Again, going back to what we said earlier, that the main purpose of prayer is praising God and making and and uh, glorifying him. And that's what this hallowing of his name is. Praying that men and women everywhere would show the respect uh, and honor that God deserves for his, the holiness of his name. Then Jesus prays, of course, for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, Jesus does not hear requests for God to become king over creation. Uh, this is not something we have to request because he is king over creation. He is sovereign over everything by virtue of his being God. We don't have to ask for that because he's already that. Uh, Jesus asked that people would acknowledge God's reign by bowing to his authority and keeping his commandments. 
So God's kingdom is evident wherever people do his revealed will. We're all part of the kingdom of God in the fact that we are showing, we showing the world that what his revealed will is for mankind. And Jesus shows us that we should ask for people to become willing servants of the Lord. We always, again, as sometimes as uh, uh, reformed Christians, we think that we don't have the responsibility of asking God to help people learn uh, about him, to share the gospel with others. But yes, we do. That is, that is our responsibility and our privilege to not only ask God to open the, open the eyes and the hearts of these people that we're sharing the gospel with, but then going out and doing it ourselves, uh, sharing the gospel with people. So then in the prayer, after praying for the kingdom, Jesus instructs us to pray for our, our needs. And notice this is kind of the last thing that he does. Uh, we pray for God's sovereignty, God's uh, will to be done, uh, his name to be hallowed, all this. Then we pray for our needs, our daily bread. Again, he's not, at, not saying that we should be praying for a, a brand new Mercedes Benz. He's saying pray for your daily needs um, and for forgiveness of our sins. This is an important thing as well. We know we're forgiven as Christians. We, we know that uh, Christ's blood has covered our sins, but we still sin every day, don't we? So it's important for us to continue to pray for forgiveness of our sins and to keep us from temptation as imperfect humans. Uh, this is something that we still must do, um, that God would keep us from situations that we feel the full assault of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, and if we are tempted to be able to withstand that temptation. These are all important things Jesus says we should pray about. So here again, we're actually praying for our needs for help in overcoming temptation. Again, why do we need that? Uh, if God is sovereign, why ask for anything that may or may not be part of his sovereign will? Is it going to change his mind? That's a question I've heard so many times. Does our prayers change God's mind? Uh, consider this example. During a great trial that Paul had in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians 1. Matter of fact, let's read those verses real quick because it's a great example on why we pray. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we are done in Matthew 6. So 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 11. <coughs> All right, starting there in verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the, through the prayers of many. So when we look at this, um, a great trial, obviously, Paul had 
went through in Asia, as he mentioned. Their suffering was so intense that they thought they were going to die, he says. And this was the case many times in Paul's ministry. Uh, so this moved him to a greater reliance on God. He said there, it made us rely on not ourselves, but on God. That's what trials and tribulation do for us. Uh, the Lord in turn delivered them from this trial and these afflictions. And he fostered in them a confidence that they didn't have before because of delivering him from the trial. So they came to set their hopes only in the Lord. Uh, you see the importance there of when we're going through trials and tribulations, relying on the Lord. Uh, he had the confidence, he says there, that he would deliver him again because Paul knew in his ministry that he would go through more trials. So one might think that such confidence would not lead Paul to ask for others to pray for the deliverance because he just said he was confident that God would deliver him again. However, he, we see here that he asked the Corinthians to pray for him. He says to continue to pray for them, to be saved from their troubles, even saying that they must help the apostle and his companions with their prayers. So Paul did not see the surety of God's rescue as a reason to, to neglect prayer. Uh, and that's the case with us. I mean, we do have confidence that God can save us and will save us. And I'm sure we've all got experiences of when God brought us out of a trial or a tribulation uh, better than we were before. But does that mean we don't need to pray for those more times that we have these things? No. It touches on the greater question of the relationship between God's sovereign will and his providence and human action. We know that God has ordained whatsoever comes to pass. He is sovereign. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent and omnipotent. He's, his purposes will surely be achieved. His purpose uh, or no purpose of his can ever be thwarted. We see that in Job chapter 42. Nothing God wills will ever be thwarted. But scripture holds the truth alongside this truth that we must act, uh, that we do not have. There's a scripture there in James chapter 4, verse 2. It says, we do not have because you ask not. So it, sh it still shows us the importance of prayer. Um, he works out his purposes in his sovereign will through the prayers of us and the service of his people. Uh, we may ask if God is sovereign, why should we pray? But in truth, we should be saying, since God is sovereign, we must pray. Uh, for we know that God is pleased to make use of us by bringing his purposes to pass. It's, it's a matter of also giving joy to our brothers and sisters when they see the answered prayers. Doesn't it, when you hear God plainly answering a prayer of someone in the church, doesn't it bring joy to the entire church? And that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing to experience. Uh, and that's what Paul said there. He said that they should pray and the Corinthians should pray so that many will give thanks for the blessing of the Lord and the apostles. Uh, so we have a key insight into the purpose of intercessory prayer. This is why we pray for one another as a church. This is why when we get prayer requests, we, we ask for prayer requests and we get people uh, to tell us what they need at the time and why we pray for that. Because when God does answer those prayers, it brings about a joy that we can't experience any other way. Uh, and asking others to pray for us gives them the opportunity to praise God 
uh, when he answers those prayers as well. So it's a benefit not just for ourselves, but for everyone involved in the congregation, family, whatever the case may be, whoever's praying for you. And that's really the purpose of widespread church-wide uh, intercessory prayer. It's not, not only glorifies God as a form of worship to him, but it's a major source of joy and fellowship amongst each and every one of us. Psalm 34, uh, verse 17 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. So God hears our prayers. When we call out to him, he hears our prayers. We know this. So again, we pray not to inform God of anything, because he knows everything. But does prayer truly change anything? We asked this before. Uh, R.C. Sproul said, Prayer does change things, all kinds of things. But the most important thing it changes is us. As we engage in the communion with God more deeply and come to know the one with whom we are speaking more intimately, that growing knowledge of God reveals to us all the more brilliantly who we are and our need to change in conformity to him. Prayer changes us profoundly. So as we pray, we know the Holy Spirit works sovereignly in us to sanctify us. This is an ongoing process. We know once we are justified, the Holy Spirit begins to sanctify us. This goes on from the time of sanctification until the time of glorification. We won't be perfect in our sanctification until we reach glorification, of course. But the more we talk to God, the more we, the more we converse with him, the better we will know him. Uh, sometimes we get so involved in our own lives and what's going around and even in our own reformed theology uh, and the intellectual factual parts of our worship to God we forget about the relationship that makes all of this possible Uh, without that relationship with God all the other stuff doesn't matter it's uh, we can we can know everything that's in this bible and know church history and know every pastor that has ever lived and be able to quote it and everything but it doesn't matter if we don't have that relationship with god uh, so how often do we spend just pray praising god in prayer and worshiping him glorifying him um, now think about it this way when jesus was here on the earth Remember, Jesus was fully God and fully man, 100% God, 100% man, but he was the Son of God and Almighty God that has eternal, never been created, wasn't created. I mean, every accolade you can give to Jesus, and yet how many times do we read of him praying? I think that's the most important thing we can think when we when we make maybe think about is prayer important? Do, do we need to pray? Jesus prayed. Uh, there are at least 38 instances in the Gospels of Jesus praying. And sometimes there were times where he prayed. There's one time when he prayed for 40 days and 40 nights, um, prayed and fasted nonstop for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, other times it mentions where he would pray all night long without any sleep. He would just—he did this uh, the night before he called his 12 apostles. He did it as well the night before he was put to death. Fervent prayer that lasted all night long. He prayed silently. He prayed out loud. He prayed in a crowd. He prayed while he was alone. Many times he would go off to himself 
so that he could spend time with just him and his father. Uh, he prayed before he would do a miracle many times before he would heal the sick or raise the dead he would pray to God uh, then other times he prayed before meals it's you know we, we think that sometime is it really necessary to pray before a meal God knows that we're thankful for this food but Jesus did it and if the son of God himself did it uh, why wouldn't we all the more so why wouldn't we um when we look at Jesus, he did this most likely numerous times a day. Did he say, well, I already know everything, so why do I need to pray? Uh, no, of course not. Um, he spent all night in prayer so many times. I mean, he knew he was going to die on the cross. He knew all that was going to happen, but he still prayed fervently all night long before that, so passionately that his sweat turned into blood. Uh, this is the Son of God. This is God in the flesh realizing how important prayer is. Uh, so if you want to read the real Lord's Prayers I mentioned earlier, read John 17. We don't have time to get into it today, but that is an example of just heartfelt, fervent, utter reliance on God in prayer and glorifying God. That prayer is all about glorifying God. Um, so knowing God is sovereign and knowing that he deserves the worship and honor and glory. That's what prayer is all about. And the most amazing thing is Jesus is still praying. If you read Romans 8:34, Jesus is still, he's at the right hand of God. It says making intercession for us every day. And that's a wonderful thought, isn't it? To, to know that Christ is still praying for us, his, his children. And he makes intercession for us each and every day. So Paul tells us at 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing or pray incessantly. Uh, now, does this mean we have to pray 24-7 without stopping? Of course, that's not what he's saying. His point is that we should always be in the attitude of prayer. We should always be ready to pray and have that mentality that we can start praying at any time. Um, so many, uh, I was just listening to a sermon by Paul Washer yesterday, actually, where he says the biggest problem with many Christians in prayer is that we divide, we tend to divide our lives into the spiritual and the secular. And that is so true. You know, we, we think, well, you know, Sunday's my spiritual day, but the other days I got to go to work and be out in the world and everything. So we kind of divide that said, well, I'll pray on Sundays, and I'll pray before I eat and everything. But we should have that praying incessantly that Paul spoke about. We should have that mentality of prayer, whether we're at work, whether we're driving. Down, some, of the, some of the best time I've spent in prayer is just driving down the road. Um, if you turn off the radio and get it quiet and just pray to God. Now, don't close your eyes and bow your head because that might lead to trouble. But, but you can still pray to God with your eyes open. But that's, that's the point, is to have an, an ongoing relationship with God where we're ready to pray, to talk to him at any time. Uh, and again, this is something, if you've been at our Wednesday nights lately, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about uh, from the 1689 uh, prayer. And we've had several of us have mentioned how it's, it's, hard, it's hard for people to, some people to pray. It's hard for all of us to pray. We don't, you know, there are times we don't know what to say. Uh, we feel inadequate. 
but if you feel inadequate, that's you've got the first thing down because we are inadequate. But um, the the point is to always pray, to pray incessantly, as as Paul said. Whether or not we find it hard to pray, whatever, our focus should be on the kingdom's advance. That was the whole point of the the Lord's prayer, the model prayer. Uh, whenever we go to the Lord, we should use the example of that model prayer. Uh, praising God first and then getting to our needs afterward. Always remember God first. All right. Well, we won't be having communion today since Brother Jason is not here with us, but uh, let us go ahead and conclude in prayer and you'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you uh, so much for this, this opportunity we've had this morning to discuss your word, Lord, and learn more about you and your uh, requirements for us as your children and your love for us lord we thank you so much for your grace for your mercy for salvation that you've given to us full and free Uh, we thank you lord for writing down your your words for us in the bible lord we're so blessed and privileged to have uh, everything written down in there your entire will for us um we have no excuse, Lord, not to not to take advantage of reading your word every day. So, Lord, help us to get into the word and spend time not only reading your word, but to in fervent prayer to you as well, Lord, striving to build our relationships with you and get full reliance and dependence upon you, knowing that we are nothing, Lord. As Jesus said, when we're, if we're not connected to him, the vine, we, we are nothing. We have nothing. So let us stay connected, Lord. Help us to do so um, by praying to you daily, uh, not just daily, but many times a day, Lord. Just coming to you, praising you for the wonderful God that you are, for all you've done for us, Lord. Help us to, uh, to always bring glory to you in everything that we say and do. Uh, drawing others as well to to you. Lord, we pray that you will draw others to you to to reach the hearts of those that have those stone hard hearts, Lord. Make them hearts of flesh and help us to reach them with, with the gospel each and every day. We love you, Lord. We leave this day in your care. Uh, we thank you for this church. Continue to bless us, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' dear name. Amen.